Hello, I'm Colin Monahan, a freelance writer and reporter for the West End News. What follows is a two-part series where I interview Sudanese Americans living in Portland, Maine. The idea for this two-part podcast began when I met El Fadl Otterbob working at a local restaurant here in Portland. He shared with me his inspirational story about how he, as a child, and against all odds, escaped the Darfur genocide back in 2000. Ultimately, El Fadl resettled in Portland, Maine, where he has traveled and spoken on the horrors of genocide across the state and the country. This past April, in recognition of Genocide Awareness Month, I interviewed El Fadl, and the West End News published his story, which you can find here online. Shortly after that interview, El Fadl introduced me to his brother, his niece Estra, and two nephews, Yunus and Yusuf, who had recently returned from a trip to Darfur just weeks before a civil war broke out, a war that has since forced an estimated 1 million people to flee Sudan and another 3.4 million to be internally displaced. We met at El Fadl's brother's house in Saco, Maine on April 1st, 2023, just weeks before the outbreak of the war in Sudan. Later, in June, El Fadl and I met again to discuss the war from his perspective living far away in Maine. But first, in part one, teens Isra, Yunus, and Yusuf share their experiences as American-born Sudanese visiting Sudan for the first time prior to the war. And our conversation was wide-ranging, from food and culture to security and crime in a nation unknowingly on the brink of war. What follows has been edited for length, and thank you so much for listening to local independent media like the West End News. Hello, um, I'm Yusra, and I'm here to speak about my trip and experience to Sudan. We went there to visit my dad's family. We saw a lot of our cousins and aunts and uncles. Um, our mom is from Ethiopia, so we have a lot of family from Ethiopia here in Maine. We have some cousins from Sudan here in Maine. We went there. It was a great experience, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Um, we ate some good food. We toured a couple places. Um, the love was abundant from our cousins. They took good care of us, and we were there for about five weeks. Yeah, the weather was really hot, and we ate a lot of sugar cane, drank a lot of tea, had a lot of coffee. It's like religiously they drink it over there. But yeah, it was a good experience. Hello, my name is Eunice, and I'm also here to speak about my experience going to Sudan. Um, the things that I heard about Sudan was that, like, there was, it was a very, it wasn't, it was a very, like, rural area with a lot of, a lot of trees and, like, a, a, a tropical area, to say the least, with, you know, mango trees and things of that nature. But um, it was, it was really, even though I heard a lot about Sudan, it was still, like, extremely different than what I expected, expected it to be, um, being that there was, like, the the houses were different the the things people ate were different the way people lived were different even even the way that people had to obtain water was different you know you weren't able to you weren't able to have water if you didn't have a donkey you know and if you didn't have it if you literally like that's how it was like you had to have a donkey to get water you had to travel about four or five miles with a donkey and like a big bucket like being like a big barrel being wheeled by a donkey, yeah. you know? And so even that was different, you know? I didn't really mind any of it. And, and actually I was like, I was pretty happy to see like like the different ways and finally get to see how my, my family was living. But at the same time, it was more so like, I was sad, like 
I'm living in America and, and my family's they're 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 borderline struggling but at the same time they're happy, you know? So even though they, they had they, they lived in extremely different experiences than us, they were still happy. Mm-hmm. And then it really taught me how to be grateful. But I seen like but at the end of the day, you know, I heard a lot and it was just it was really different from what I from what I seen. Mm-hmm. And it was also and I also did get to see a lot of what I heard. Mm-hmm. But it was still a really great experience at the end of the day. Yeah. Yosef, I guess this is a question for everyone, but um can get you speaking too. Um were there other like kids there that you talked to? Um were there other like, you know, young people that you guys met out there? Um and what was that like? We had cousins, we had relatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, closely around our age so uh i didn't really get to meet any other people really but except my relatives who were my, around my age but uh it was a good experience you know uh i enjoyed talking to my cousins they didn't speak english as much as we did mm-hmm. but they could conversate with us a little bit right but uh we uh had a thrill we had fun we had a blast speaking to them uh, they loved us and we loved them back the same way they did with us mm-hmm. and we enjoyed them we had fun with them i went to many places uh yeah it, it was it was really enjoyable we did not grow up speaking arabic and it's not our first language although we like know the basics and when we got there our Arabic language improved a lot, just being around it, hearing it, and speaking it. We learned a lot, definitely. We can introduce ourselves and definitely have a conversation and understand it, comprehend what they're saying. But we were there for five weeks, and that's the language they speak. So, yeah, we just kind of got used to it. It starts to roll off the tongue little by little, and we definitely learned while we were there. I mean, it wasn't really like speaking English. It was just like we went as like we kind of were going with the flow of our parents. So, like before they were fluent in English, you know, they were they would definitely speak like their their native languages a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, and then as as when they got more fluent, it would it would just you know slowly change into like we we you know would get less. Less, we would have a less understanding of you know their languages, right. and then more of an understanding of English, right. and then so you know we didn't we never completely lost the language, but you know it was just like we were not we were not as well as we once were, uh-huh. and so going to Africa and going to Sudan, it really just helped us polish like the language, like uh-huh. polish our skills speaking, and you know we were just you know we were blessed to go there and learn our, learn the language. Alfadl, um, what? expectations or worries or hopes did you have for your uh, nieces and nephews going to Sudan for the first time? Were you worried at all before they were going? Were you hopeful for them? Oh, I was I was worried and I was hopeful at the same time. I was worried because they speak English and there it will be the language barrier. That would be number one. And second would be their safety. And uh, and because there is a lot of militias in Sudan, like Janjaweed militia, and like 
it's not easy when the sun go down, you cannot leave your house. If you leave, you will never come back. You never know. And uh, and that was my biggest worry. And also the transportation while they're there. Because like some of the militia members, they have this thing, transportation called Raksha or Tuk Tuk. That you could ride on the way how they look at it, you. And they could try to speak to you. If you are not responding, mm -hmm. then they could take off while you are riding on that thing as a transportation and they could go away and they could do whatever they want, mm -hmm. you know? And that was my biggest worry. And uh, I'm glad that when they go, uh, they never go like a village outside or suburb outside because uh, our people down there tell them it's like, no, you don't have to go away from here. You just have to be around the uh, uh, the town called Zalinji. You have to be around the Zalinji. And if you're going anywhere, a couple of people must be with you because they know better. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, that was a good thing that uh, 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 they just went and see. And uh, I was worried also because the food we eat there is acida. We call it acida. And it's like every day you're just eating the same food. What, what's what's acida? Uh, it's, uh, I think they could explain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyone want to explain the meals you guys had there? Um, so acida is flour and water. It's kind of like a thick, gooey substance. And you eat it with sauces, which we call mula. Yeah. And... Um, it's really good. We did eat it pretty often. We also ate kisra, which is similar to injera, and that's kind of like a tortilla, I guess. And, um, yeah, the food was sometimes spicy, not too often, but really, really good. I definitely miss it, and it's like so, it's like comfort food. And we also ate like salad and tomatoes with powdered spice, which is so good. And I look forward to eating that again soon. Your parents cook any of this at home? Yes, um, my, both my parents do. Since we were kids, they cook acida and mullah and yeah. What's the importance of women and mothers in, in Sudan? Did Was that talked about there? Did you guys, like you saw Fadl's mother and your grandmother in uh, Zalinge. What, what was that like? With, with women in Sudan, it's like, they have a lot of responsibilities, you know? And it's like, you know, like our our aunt would get up about, you know, 6 a.m. She would prepare food for the people who were awake. And then she would just like stay up. She would be up just cleaning like, you know, the messes and the, and the food from last night, she would be up cleaning that. And then after, by the time we were up, she would, then again, make food for us, you know? So she's, so it's like the woman, they just like, they're just always doing something, you know? They don't have too much time to rest, you know? We would try and like take the, take the weight off their shoulders by helping them, by helping the woman in the family, even the, um, the eldest sister, the eldest daughter, she, um, she also would help out a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. She'd go to school. She go to college, she come back from college, and it's like there's no time for like get on your phone. No, it's like you get home and then you just get straight into 
um, cleaning and cooking. It's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. But, you know, we were, we made sure to let them know that we were grateful. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was also, we, um, we've seen a lot of different, like a lot of different aunts, you know, and then they would come together and they would, they would try and some, some of them would try and bring things for us to take back home to America. And they would help out. They would also come and help clean. And then after we would, we would have big dinners just about like every other night. We have a lot of different family members. So we did, they would help out um, and make big dinners for us. And then, um, you know, they were also, the women were also very caring, you know. They would just like be extra cautious about us going outside, who we were going outside with, you know, when we were leaving, when we were coming back. You know, so they're just like, you can tell they've been through a lot, so you know they make sure that we don't have to experience what they experienced. So they made sure to make sure we were on point and not and not making like making like doing things that we would comfortably be, comfortably be doing here. We were made sure to know that we were not in America anymore, and we were, and they told us like you know you better make sure you know what you're doing out here. Should I, can I tell like the story of us getting there? Actually, it was like, all right. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a very, it was a really, really weird experience. So we get off the plane, and then, so we have to take. We went to Khartoum, and that's the capital. Mm-hmm. So we were there for about a week and a half, I'd say, and then we had to get a plane to go to um, Zalimji. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was the capital of Darfur, and Darfur is the land of the the land of the four, and the four is a tribe, the people of four, and that is like um, our grandma. That's where she's from. That's where my dad and my uncles, and you know that my dad's side of the family is from, and they have their they speak their own language, and it's called um, Forai. So yeah, that's the that's the tribal language, and that is their like native first language, their real language. And then they end up learning Arabic from school mm-hmm. or, you know, the people who are not um, four. So we get to Darfur and we have to take a, um, we have to take a bus back. And uh, yeah, we have to take like a van back, you know, something big enough to fit our luggage and us. So we once we get off the plane- This is from Khartoum. This is from Khartoum, yes. And so once we get off the plane from Khartoum, um, we are waiting for our, we have to wait for our luggage and then, you know, it's not, it's very, very hectic, even though it's like not too many people, it's just about a plane or two coming off. It's f- extremely hectic. There's no cars to get on to, um, like to get our luggage, you know, the only cars is people who rent out carts and then they have to like, you have to let them like take your stuff or not, or like ex- really struggle, you know, cause everybody has a lot of luggage. So mm-hmm. you're going to have to eventually end up paying for somebody with a cart. So we ended up paying for something with the cart. And then the currency exchange is about like um, 590. So it's like 590 times the US dollar. So $1 here is 590 uh, Jene or pounds over there. So we paid about like, I'd say like 2000 pounds, about $4. For someone to move yeah, for someone to move our luggage. So we get to our uh, our little, we get a van, somebody rents a van and then we pay, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but we paid about like, triple amount the normal person would because you know they were able to see we were not from sudan of course so right. they were, you know they just tried their best to take advantage you know uh-huh. so it's like it's one of those things where it's just like you know they need it more than you right. you know but at the same time it's not it's not right you know to take advantage of somebody you know when you think that they have something you know that you 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 want from them 
So anyways, we get we get into um Darfur and then we see a stop and the stop me I'm I'm I don't know, I was not really like paying too much attention. I don't know why. But there is um a stop and two people, you know, we have no idea what like who they are. So they come to the driver's side and the passenger side and we hear them talking and he just goes, Is there like from what I heard he said, Is there anybody in the car? And the driver says no, and speaking Arabic, of course. So the, the driver says no, and we just take off, okay? And of course, there was all of us inside there, you know? And then my mom, my mom, she like really hates when people try and take advantage. So like, right once we leave, she goes like, who are those people, what do they want? And the driver goes, they're police. And then my mom, she didn't really hear, so she's asking them like, what did they say? They said, oh, um, they were wondering who we're, uh, who's in the car. And they couldn't see inside the car because it was extremely tinted. So they're wondering who was inside. And then my mom was like, wow, what do they want? Like, oh, they're trying to see who's with us. They want to take money from us from transporting people and things of that nature. So we get to the second one. And we're driving for like about another 30 minutes. And we see there's another stop in front of us. And at that stop, it wasn't, there was no talking. Somebody just came to the side of our door and just slung, uh, just swung the door open swung the door open and he's just like he's just greeting us you know and then like we're all like everybody's tense and like also like annoyed and frustrated at the same time because nobody should have the right to just do this you know and so they open the door he greets us and then you know they're talking about checking our luggage to see if we have any drugs you know knowing of course we were not bringing any drugs with us you know it's just it's just a scary tactic to try and be able to take money from us you know, so, and my parents and my parents were just not going for that. They were not allowing that to happen. So they ended up saying, oh, we need to take your passports, you know, just to make it seem professional. But these people were dressed in regular day, like everyday clothes. They didn't show us any identification, you know, nothing. It was just like people just trying to take advantage, you know, trying to take advantage of the people coming through. And so eventually my dad just had to show them our passports and we ended up leaving. So we finally get to the capital of Darfur and there's one last um, checkpoint. And at this checkpoint, it was a little similar. So somebody opens the door and he just starts yelling without saying anything. He just starts yelling, saying, get down, get down, get down. And we're all just looking at him, you know, and we're just like, we're just confused. Like, you know, we know what he wants, you know, but we're not like, that's one of the things like, of course, this is just like, it's common knowledge, like, you know, try not to seem scared in front of, you know, someone who's trying to scare you, you know? So we're all looking at him like we don't seem scared and we seem unbothered. We're just like, we can just clearly see what this guy's trying to do. So he's telling us get out. Then eventually, you know, some, um, my, my parents get out and then I get out too. And he's saying he's trying to open the trunk. Like he's forcefully doing everything, trying to scare us, you know? And so he's saying, oh, get down. Um, like we're checking your bags and my parents are saying, no, we're not putting our bags on this dirty floor, you know, things of that nature. And then after our cousin comes and then he, we all just like, like we eventually like, like calm this situation down and we tell him, no, we're not, you're not checking our bags. You have no right to do that. And again, these guys have no identification. They're not even just in uniform or anything, you know? So these are random people who can do whatever they want. So, and then after we just, we end up just, um, you know, just being able to go. And this is where we get to finally meet our grandmother. And so we get there. And then after our, our um, 
sister, I mean, our cousins and our aunt were just like extremely happy, you know, that our aunt was singing and she was like tearing up. And then after, and it was even like, it was even like a little like different. Like I, I mean, it wasn't different. It was even like a little surprising. I seen our um, cousins, they were like, um, they were even crying also, you know, and they were our age. So, you know, I was like, wow, like they were so happy to see us, you know? And so then after we get to our grandmother and then she's not able to like, she wasn't really able to express like how she felt. She was just like, she just said hello. And then she speaks, she was speaking the um, tribal language. She knows Arabic, but it was it just one of like the symptoms, you know, she wasn't able to speak Arabic to us. She was just speaking for, and then we would ask our cousins, like, what is she saying? And she's saying like, oh, she remembers us, you know, she's happy to see us. And like, she wasn't really able to express it, but you know, we could tell that she was happy to see us. Those people in the stops, they always, either way, uh, what they do, whether they take the luggage, or they will set you up. They will bring whatever they think will you put you in trouble. Mm-hmm. They will put something and then he will pass and go. The other ones, they kind of having a tactics. One will come and say, oh, I want to check. But he actually putting something in there and he will pass and go. Those whom they are coming behind, they will say, oh, you have something here. And then that where, and they will be like, oh, give me your passport. And they will be like, oh, we're going to take you to the, to the station. And those are most of them, they have like a uniform, but they are not really actually like, uh, like a police officers or something like that. They just put a uniform, but they are like, type of militia and that's where it scare more people because you don't know and they don't show you any you know like any id and that is really scare people off and sometimes they just beat people up and uh, take your luggage take your money and uh, and especially if you have a phone or money that's where you will be more in trouble because as the same when I went back to uh, to Darfur, that's where they take my phone, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's the way how uh, for me I was in these stops and they stop us, and when they get us off, all of the all all the people get off of the car, and they make three like uh, a scarf on the ground, mm-hmm. and it's like one scarf. You put the money, the second scarf, you put your watch, Mm -hmm. the third scarf, you put your phone. And if you don't have that, then they will question you and they start beating you up. And that's exactly what you went through. They stop and they put a lot of stop between town to another town, like three to four stop and that they could get as much money they want. Mm. Like they will say to the driver, it's like, look, how many people you carry? I carry like, you could say six people. Okay, uh, six people that they wanna take from everyone, like whatever they say. So the driver have to give the money without no even. Those passengers know, they will just go on the side and just give them the money and it's like, please, 
don't ask these people because they are passenger and I want to take them. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the money they take for your own transportation, you give the money, most like half of the money give to those malicious and they stop in the way so that cannot you cannot get hurt or anything cannot happen to you as a passenger. Mm-hmm. And this is really the, the driver is there really uh, sacrificing and struggling and uh, they're having a lot of hard times. Sometimes they get beat up, sometimes they get killed. Mm. Yeah. The West End News Podcast is produced by the West End News, Portland, Maine's free community news resource since 2001. The West End News is written by a team of volunteers and freelance journalists and is brought to you with support from local advertisers. If you are interested in advertising in print, online, or with our podcast, email thewestendnews at gmail.com. And if you enjoy reading community print news, it's easy to support us. The next time you need a product, service, or night out, visit one of our advertisers and tell them the West End News sent you. We were there uh, in Jalingi. I wake up uh, uh, for prayer, and then uh, I would hear donkeys just yelling, you know, screaming, making noises. (laughs) It was yeah. every morning. All, yeah. Every morning, all yeah. the animals. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Sometimes gunshots. Right. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, there was there was uh, weddings unusual, based unusual, but uh, yeah, they they fired their their guns in the air. Mm. They said that this they do as tradition, just right. just for like uh, to celebrate. To celebrate, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I remember when we got there. Uh, my family, they were so happy. They were so excited. They're like, they know they're tearing up too. They're they're so overwhelmed. Like they're wow, you know. Even me myself, I was like, you know, I had had something in me too, mm-hmm. you know. And 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 it was just it was just really good. It felt really nice. Like you know, my family, you know, I get to meet them, you know. And it was just a very good experience. You know, I enjoyed it. I loved it. And when we were there, and Zelenki went to the town, went to the market. The market is like, uh, the market is wide. They have they have many things over there. Uh, it's not like cartoon where they have like Apple. They have like a, a electronic store for your phones and stuff like that. But yeah, we we brought back a lot of things for my family. We brought like twelve luggages, like 14, 16 luggages, Whoa. over over there. Uh, what are some of the things you guys brought over? A lot of clo- clothes, clothes in particular, and we brought a couple shoes. of phones, shoes, yeah, things and that stuff. Uh, you know, just just to give them things that they needed handy. So, you know, everyone knew that you guys were coming from the states. What what questions did they ha- did they have for you? What questions did your family and people that you met have for you about Maine, living in Maine? Um, and you know what did you have to tell them about Portland and your life here? Like one of the first things people would say after greeting you is, um, I think they would just like they just want to know like everything. You know, they want to know how much your phone cost and then how much it would cost in um in Sudanese pounds, and then they would want to know like how much you make over there, yeah. and then you know they want to say they would they would want to know like. Um, like to be a millionaire over there is literally like about like 
$1,800, like, you know, and then if you exchange that into Sudanese pounds, you're, like, by definition a millionaire because, I mean, like, not a millionaire, but, you know, like, you have a million dollars, you know? Yeah. And, like, of course, over there, that's, you know, that's a lot of money, but pounds. over here, that's that's life-changing over there, you know? But it's not really, you can't really, you can do a good amount with 1800 but it's definitely not life-changing, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, and then after they would ask, like, um, like, how is the roads, you know? Because over there, the road... Like, I can't even, like, express it enough. Like, it's literally, like, it's as bad as, like, like, it's just the road is, it's a dirt road. And then the dirt road is, it's just, like, it's a roller coaster. Like, it's as bad as you, would th like, could imagine, you know? Like, it's really, really bad. Like, there's the, any traffic lights. Yeah, there's no, there's, like, <laughs> there's about, like, like, in the, when we went to the capital of Darfur, I don't think I seen, maybe, like, I don't remember, but. There was probably like there was actually yeah there was a one traffic light and it was just yellow it wasn't even like a real traffic light that was next to the school I remember now but it was like a one traffic light in the whole capital mm -hmm. that I saw of course there was more you know and then after but the kids they ask things like um they say like how's school like you know and then after they like I told them about like um community college and like how they give like. Um, dorms and housing and you know they're like in yeah. shock and yeah. awe you know their jaws are dropping you know and they're like when I go to America you know that's like their favorite thing to say when I go to America yeah. <laughs> they're like when I go to America I'm gonna work through this and you know and like you see some of them some of them are like when I had one one of them someone over there was like my cousin's um, best friend he was like when I go to America He's like, I'm gonna get a job. I'm gonna go to school every single day. You know, I'm gonna only go to. I'm gonna go to work every single day. He's like, I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna give every. I'm gonna give all of the, the whole village money. You know, that's like they start. Then they seen how we live, mm -hmm. and then they start fantasizing America. So did a lot of people want to come to the state? A lot of young people you met. Everybody. Come to the states. Everybody in Sudan wants to go to America because mm -hmm. it's literally. A whole different experience like just imagine this like put this in, into perspective it's like you literally if you don't have a donkey you didn't have water that was in Darfur you know the capital like literally that's how it was if you don't have a donkey you don't have water and of course if you don't have water you know how can you live so it's like that's like that's like the way people live mm -hmm. so like everybody they don't know too much but like especially when they saw how we lived you know they start fantasizing and, you know, it's just like all they wanted to talk about is how do I get a visa? Is there a lottery? You know, they wanted to that see. That must have been really humbling. You know, it was like, it, it really showed you, really showed us how to be grateful, mm -hmm. you know? And then after, like, um, even, like, when speaking of, like, we were talking about the market, um, El Camisa's soup went, uh, store Wednesday. So, um, like, I went there one day. It was, like, I think my second or third day there. I went there. And it's like, since my hair is longer, like as a guy, you know, it's uh, obviously very different over there. People have like shorter hair. So my hair was longer, you know? So it's like, everybody just, like, they didn't really follow. Actually, no, that happened a couple of times, but people, they just kids. like, um, not even kids. Actually, it was like a couple of times, um, they, they're like, there's a lot of thieves, you know? So when we were walking to the market, a lot of people look at me and they ask, they say like, America, they like, America, you know, they're just asking like, are you from America, you know? And you know, sometimes I just, I just laugh at them. I just laugh and say like, yeah, no. Or I say like, I'm from Ethiopia or I even say I'm from Sudan, you know? Mm -hmm. And they laugh, you know, they know like, I'm obviously, they know I'm from America, you know? Mm -hmm. But like going to the market, I'm like the day we were leaving, they told us like the week, the week before that, mm -hmm. there was like a big conflict between 
um, they like in Africa, all, in all of Africa, there's something called tribalism, mm -hmm. and it's where people, they're when they when they there's like in Africa, there's let's just say for instance Sudan, there's or South Sudan, there's about like sixty seventy different tribes, and in, within those tribes, there's different languages, there's a lot of different culture, there's so much like there's a lot of different things within the tribes, mm -hmm. and so and in Darfur, it was just two tribes, it was the people of I mean in Zelengi. Like it was just like mostly um, people, for, uh, the four people and the air people. And so the week before we came, there was a conflict where somebody from the uh, four tribe, they bought they bought a charger from somebody, uh, an Arab or uh, yeah, an Arab person. And and these people, they're Afro-Arab, so they're black Arabs. They look, everybody looks alike to be honest with you, but there's still tribalism, it's weird. So they bought a charger and then the, the Darfur person said, oh, the charger doesn't work. So he tried to go, he went back to him. He said, I want to return it. And then the air person didn't want to return it. And so they had a big conflict where about like six people ended up dying. Six, six uh, four people ended up dying. And then like eight air people ended up dying. Like and a charger like, for a, over, a computer? Like a phone, phone charger. Phone. And this literally all started because he didn't want to return. Like they didn't want to return the phone charger. It was broken. You know, they just didn't, he just didn't want to return it. So they... They literally like they they just fight with each other, and then they go again like the four in the air. They fight with each other and they go against each other. You know like they team. It's like they team up together and then they go against each other and they look at each other differently. You know and then even it's hard for the four people like like when you go to certain places in it's the, it's their country. You know it's in the name like Darfur. You know but it's still really hard for them. They're still discriminated against by the air people because the air people have like a superiority complex. They think they're better than you know. When of course they're everybody's the same, and then like we even saw when we were going, when we were leaving Darfur, we seen houses on fire. Like we seen houses that were burnt down. I mean, you know, and we asked, and they said, yeah, the Arab people or the Janjaweel, you know, the militia, they burnt down the, they like all the discrimination is against the four people. You know, they said they burnt down the, the four people houses. You know, so, but yeah, like you know, that's why like everybody wants to go to America, like. They're still happy, but they know they could be even more happy going to America. Some people are naive, you know. They think like they don't, they don't, they don't really realize like how much better America is, you know. But there's some people who who know and they want to go. But I don't want to speak like too like like it's it's not a bad place. Like I loved it over there, you know. It's just like there's a lot of different things that that could be changed, and you know, people. I want I want people to at least I want a lot of my family to experience at least America and see how it is, you know, but yeah, a lot everybody they, they say they ask they ask us a lot of questions, you know. That's well like, said. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you said, they asked like how much do you make? What's it like at school and working there and such. They wanted to see a lot of pictures. Um, they said the price of a phone here is like the price of a car over there. They're like, oh, do you have a car and stuff like that? You know, the bathrooms they use are outside and in the hole. They shower in buckets, wash dishes in buckets. Um, the power is always on and off. The Wi-Fi is really limited. So, yeah, it's really different. Um, I have this one younger cousin, which is funny he said this. He said he doesn't want to come to America because he thinks that black people get beat, which is so funny. And I'm like, no, that's not true. Like, that's old news. And that was so funny. 
um there is a story while we were in khartoum um we just went to a restaurant with our cousin we had ethiopian food and we stepped into like this cosmetic store my mom my sister and i while my brothers and my cousin were trying to get fix the car or whatever we go out and there's this guy with a hand racked with rings and i think he was drunk he like tried to rob my brother because you know i guess we don't really fit in because his hair is different you know we wear um scarves and skirts although his hair is different and so we just look like objects to them and he's trying to talk to my brother but he's drunk and he calls his friends over his friend over who has a knife and Eunice doesn't want to turn his back to get in the car so he finally gets in and the guy kicks the window and it shatters he almost hits Eunice in the face we drive off he's like chasing us with a brick and a cigarette in his mouth we go to the police station they don't really do much they do go back to look for them and then an hour passes by and an old man is killed there over a phone so that was crazy on the same street yeah so that was crazy and I wouldn't wish that experience on anyone. My sister was scared. My dad wasn't there, though. And, yeah, our cousin took good care of us. He did want to turn around, but that was not ideal because, you know, me, my sister, and I were in the car. And they were also armed with knives and a rack of rings on his hand. So that was not safe. You guys saw some scary stuff. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have a couple, just a few questions to wrap it up for you guys because we're running out of time we, thank you so much for sharing your stories this is awesome i want to go to sudan now <laughs> let me go with you guys next time <laughs> um what is just something that you learned from there that you want to bring back here something that you really internalized one thing uh you know i can be appreciative that's that's the most because you know you know i was going to say something like uh uh I was gonna say, uh, the houses over there, I mean, they're, uh, they're not even like, uh, actual, they're not like actual houses, you know? They're not, they're not like uh, made like houses in America, like how everything is so like, so like, you know, how it is, like very modern, like, like in America, like America, the houses are like, what it's, how you like how you like it you know it's like everything is nice everything is there everything's convenient mm -hmm. and Amer in africa it's not convenient you have to go outside use a bathroom yet the kitchen's outside you know it's 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 not it's not as convenient as it is is in in america mm -hmm. you know uh you know the the houses like they're like they're not even like they're not even like it's like kind of, sort of like a, it's not like a house like, like it's four walls it's not like that it, uh they have like they have like uh okay. like small like buildings like my dad he paid to make rooms over there mm -hmm. so we could have rooms to sleep because they have they had like six siblings mm -hmm. uh so there was like three uh no f four uh uh, different uh, like uh, mini building, like like little buildings, for us to to be in like in one comp, like in one uh, small, small co complex, like in a sm mm -hmm. like small, 
uh, little, not complex, but like miniaturized buildings. Like sizes of sheds. Like, not, uh, it's, it's like we had one building, not, not building, but like, like a house, like a a house, like, but it's like a room Mm -hmm. that's that's built, it's like, it's like built, like there's something built on, on the right side, Uh you know, one like long building on like one builder on the, on the right, on the right side, another on the left and one on the front, Mm -hmm. but like, they're not connected to each other. They're not connected. They're separate from each other. So, you know. Uh, and and those rooms that someone they have electricity, but like there's like one power outlet in each room. Yeah. And the one that the main room we're in, that's the main room, and and like uh, we have uh, power outlets. We have like two power outlets, and like my cousin, uh, he bought a TV for them. Yeah, cause he he makes a good he makes a money mm-hmm. from his uh, work that he does. But uh, like, really, there's no like, there's no like faucet in the room. Mm-hmm. The main, like any of the rooms, there's no uh, uh, like the windows, like like the, the windows are not even, you know. And that particular, it's not like it's not how it is in in America. Mm-hmm. Usera, what's something that you took away from your trip? Um definitely to be grateful and appreciative like you know i'm 18 soon and i've shared a room with my sister my whole life and they sleep like five to one room um it's crazy there's even rats in the room sometimes and like birds even yeah Yeah, but i'm definitely grateful that our dad took us there he spent a lot of money and saved up for this for years and you know it's been a dream for for him to take us there along with our mom so i'm glad and thankful that he took us there definitely like i'm taking back the culture the language i hope to bring my cousins here someday hopefully um but yeah just to be appreciative of everything that i have from clothes to food to clean and sanitized water um, to shelter and yeah. What do you want listeners to know on this podcast about your trip, Sudanese culture, about Sudan, about being a Sudanese American? Sudan is like, Sudan is very beautiful. And um, it's, it's like, um, it's very surreal, you know, there's a lot of mountains and there's thousands and thousands of camels, which is like, you know, something that I haven't, like, you don't really see, and donkeys and and cows and lambs, and so beautiful. And it's like, um, it's, um, it's very beautiful, you know? And, and like something that I, I just, I just would want like anybody who's, who's like first generation, like I would want anybody who's first generation in America to go back and experience like, their home country and, you know, get to see any extended family members, family members, you know, cause it's, it's like, it's something that's mandatory, you know, and it's something that I would do. Like I would bring my kids, you know, like, like God's will, you know, I'll bring my kids and, and show them Sudan. And, you know, it's something that like, I'll never forget, you know, I'm super grateful for, for going there. And I just would hope that, you know, anybody, you know, who, who can, who ha, who's not native to America, you know, go back to your, to your mother's land and forefather's land and just experience, 
experience the um the home country and just out and be grateful. Make sure to take a lot of pictures while you go to, you know, so you can come back and show everybody in America. But yeah, just, you know, stay grateful. And, you know, Sudan was a really nice country. I'm extremely happy I visited there. Well, thank you guys so much for speaking with us. Um, uh, El Fadl, do you have anything to say to conclude us? And um, do you have anything to say, anything to plug about, you know, upcoming events for cultural revival? At the end of the day, we just want to have kind of educational genocide awareness that uh, we don't want to see any genocide taking place after the one is ongoing, is over. We don't want to see any other genocide because our world leaders, with their empty promises or with their empty promises, and just this genocide is just keep occurring and occurring and occurring, and we don't know what country is going to take the next genocide. Right. And even we're in America, mm -hmm. we don't know mm -hmm. what country is going to be the next. And we just want to prevent that, and we want to educate people. If something like that happened, you will be aware of it's not going to be food around you, it's not going to be water, it's not going to be a shelter. You have to find everything for yourself. Mm -hmm. And you have to, this is about survival, how to survive, how to find food, how to find water, how to hide to kind for safety, mm -hmm. how to, to kind of be responsible for your own self and just take care of yourself and, and, and others. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for being an educator here in Maine and talking to students and young people and, and our leaders all across the, the United States about your experience in educating folks on how to prevent genocide. And um, yeah, I just want to plug that um, if there's any schools or any communities um, that are interested in booking El Fadal, um, he's available to speak. Uh, thank you so much. The West End News Podcast is distributed by The West End News, Portland, Maine's free community news resource since 2001. The West End News Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by Tony Zelli. Music is by Aaron Zelli. Find our podcast at thewestendnews.com. Thank you for listening to Local Independent Media.